Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach. How we doing, Adam? I'm good, my best bud. Buddy, pal, amigo, compadre. Friendo. Friendo. <laughs> it's, it's good to be hanging out with you on this, the most auspicious of all days. Truly is, you know, what what many people have referred to as our bromance as this show is it's developed and and this week is all about bromance. This week on the show, I thought you meant in real life as we were recording it. I was like, no, I think this week as we're recording it is about weed. It's the it's the weed number day, guys. Yeah, uh I think um Elon Musk is is, you know, not having a good one today cuz Well, cuz he blew up a rocket ship. Blew up a rocket ship, and the press releases for that are hilarious. They're like, it was a successful failure. <laughs> listen, <laughs> so funny. listen, 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 listen. One, from an engineering standpoint, I cannot argue that there are times when you have certain targets that you're trying to hit and anything else is just gravy, and I can appreciate that. I also know that most of those times are not during destructive tests of millions of millions of dollars of equipment. Like Yes, it's just like I can do the back of the napkin math on it and you never want anything to explode. I'm just suggesting that, you know, given that there's a SpaceX contract with NASA, if you do see on the calendar that he has scheduled a rocket launch for 420, you may want to reschedule that. <laughs> just a thought. SpaceX content counts for this podcast because it has the name X in it. Little known fact Elon Musk, big X-Men fan. In fact, him and Grimes broke up because Grimes was very into House of X, Powers of Ten, and Elon wanted to go back to the Claremont school days. Really hope none of what you just said is true. But like 20% of it is true. Really? Which part? I'm the part scared. that Grimes liked Toxpox. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like something Grimes would like. I know. know nothing about Grimes except for her weird feud. Not feud so much as... Her weird, terrible celebrity couple thing at the start of the pandemic that I think I've even brought up on this podcast about how my favorite memories if it are. wasn't last episode, it was the episode before. You you definitely brought this. <laughs> Did I bring up I brought up the fact that Teal Gaiman <laughs> and Amanda Palmer's yes. weird divorce happening at the same time as Grimes and Elon Musk were trying to be the yeah. worst celebrity couple. Oh, it was a weird early pandemic was weird. Yes. Uh but we're not, not weird. We're not talking about early pandemic. We're talking about no. uh, forever here and the forever of friendship. Listen, there's friendships. Adam, here's a question I was thinking about earlier today. Yeah, yeah. Am I the sunspot or am I the cannonball in this in this podcast? <laughs> because, listen, I was born in Kentucky. Yeah. I am closer to a Sam Guthrie in a lot of ways. But I'm also, don't take this the wrong way, I'm going to use a word here in a it's not to disparage you. I feel like if someone was saying who has more charisma points, it's not that Adam is low in charisma. <laughs> it's not. It's just like, it's like I put all of my D&D points, my character build into charisma and none into like strength or drawing things good. It is and you, you went for like a more well-rounded, like 
dwarf cleric. I mean, if if Birdo is the CEO, you know, then you are definitely the the Birdo of of the bromance. Uh, I'm fine being, you know, the. I don't want to say good old boy. That sounds terrible. The, good old uh, boy has some interesting connotations. <laughs> that is there, not the connotations that I want. The the Sam sweetness, you know, he's, he's a great guy. So, so I, I'm about, fine with that. We're talking about stories with the Cannonball and Sunspot. That's, That's right, all. y'all. It's just. It's just that sometimes the podcast is what we want to do. Well, this was a request, right? It was a request, and it was a request by Patreon supporter Joe Simpson, if you want to be like Joe. You go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, and you can reach deep down into your hearts and pocketbooks, toss a couple of coins into our coffers, and say, folks, I would like you to talk about a Nick Spencer comic, which (laughs) is something that people have have kept asking us. It's true, and uh, we did we did put a question mark next to Avengers World number nine, but it qualifies. It is a Sam and Birdo story. This issue, Adam decided that this qualified. I'm on the fence, and here's why. Okay, why? Because Avengers World number nine is, in my opinion, part of a much larger arc that is the entirety of Nick Spencer's Avengers World story, which involves a lot of weird stuff, honestly. I don't think it's very good. Hickman started it with him, but I'm like 99% sure that Hickman gave some script notes and said, yeah, we're, I'm doing Avengers right now, so I'll help, I'll help you sell the first issue. Uh, Hickman being involved in this does not surprise me, as the larger plot story does revolve around AIM, uh, advanced idea mechanics having their own living island named Barbuda. But Adam, <laughs> you're wrong because that's well, okay. Part of the aim Island stuff did start with Hickman's fantastic four. However, the majority of it, the majority of it is actually coming out of Nick Spencer's secret Avengers run. Oh, uh, right. Yep. A run that I did not read. Uh, listen, all I of did this... read the ales caught secret Avengers, which is better. I mean, if it wasn't the Hickman run, I was not reading Avengers. Uh, oh, I've Secret read. Wars. Adam, do you think this is after Secret Wars? No, Avengers World is is before this. It's um, Avengers World is bet- is it's, concurrent with the Hickman run. It's right. launched out of Infinity. Yeah, I didn't read this. I don't know. It was Nick Spencer. <laughs> I didn't want to read. I was already reading two Avengers books. Give me some credit. Hold on, hold on. You say Nick Spencer. This was 2014 Nick Spencer when he was mostly a jobber and actually concurrent to the part where we thought Nick Spencer was really talented because he wrote uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Well, the uh, the issue we have at hand, Avengers World number nine, and we, we did say who requested this, right? We did that. Part. Yeah, we, we said Joe okay. Simpson. I got to say, he he does a pretty good job of, of getting... Uh, uh, Sam and Roberto's voices like he has a pretty good sense of who these characters are how they interact and um, larger plot line aside I think why this issue works for our show is that essentially it's just the two guys going on a weird time travel mission and getting into a fight at an alien bar it's it's fun okay but what really bothers me about this is the framing device of back to the future <laughs> well it does it's like we get it. And then when it comes up a second time, I'm like, Nick, we get it. Yes. We all love the eighties classic back to the future. Do we? Um, Cause I'm like, I, I was, 
Are I you out, out on Back to the Future? Listen, I missed out on Back to the Future because I'm younger. Okay. So it was just like this movie that was slightly older than I was. Yeah. It's like, I don't, it's fine. I don't get the appeal of Back to the Future. Wow. That's a I, bold take. I think Back to the Future is perfectly fine. I also think most 80s movies actually are like, they're fine. Gremlins, it's fine. What? It's a lot of those movies that's Ooh. like, yeah, it's okay. Gremlins is pretty great. Goonies? I liked Goonies. I already know how you feel about Ghostbusters, which I'm not a huge like Ghostbusters. I don't think Ghostbusters is good, actually. I think I think <laughs> Ghostbusters is actively bad. <laughs> okay, it's not bad. Uh, is it? <laughs> it's not bad. Is it? <laughs> it's not good, is the thing. I I think it's at least funny. It's a funny movie. And Back to the Future is it's great. Not the like funny, the it's Future. not even close to the funniest movie that literally anyone in that movie was a part of. No, that's that's very true. But but Back to the Future holds up. It's fantastic. I love it's it. Fine. It's fine. It's great. You don't have to like it, Zach. And I do agree great. with you that the multiple mentions of uh, the quotes in this issue are, you know, it's it's. It's unnecessary, but your uh, kids, Marty, something's <laughs> got to be done about your kids. Uh, Adam, okay, let's, we got it. We got to, we got to broach this subject real quick. End of the issue. The, the splash page reveal at the end of the issue, Adam, were you aware of the next Avengers before this? No, I, I mean, so the reveal is that there is a group from the future of Avengers children that include Henry Pym Jr., uh, Francis Barton, Torun, the daughter of Thor and Sif, James Rogers, and Azari T'Challa, the next Avengers. Hey, Adam, do you think Nick Spencer came up with these characters? I, I don't know who came up with them. Would, I, would you be shocked if they are, and I am not joking about this, characters made for a straight-to-DVD animated feature? Really? That's, that's interesting. They are. Bendis brought them in for his (laughs) Avengers at one point, and then Nick Spencer brings them back. Nick Spencer Uh, leaves them in the present at the end of Avengers World, and no one has ever said, you know who we need to bring back? We need to bring back James Rogers, the son of Captain America. Well, maybe maybe Secret just kind of erased them. Maybe maybe they just fell into like some other universe or something. I kind of hope so, because they suck yeah and they don't do anything in this comic no 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 they they just get found they get found um maria hill sends cannonball and sunspot on a mission which is weird because it's not like shield runs the avengers at this point no but they're working with shield we get an agent because it's a follow-up to because it's a follow-up to secret avengers yeah i get it um shield has uh this like gold robot lady named jocasta who, you know, is trying to communicate in binary code. Adam, but, I'm going to ask another question real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real quick. You're fully aware that Jocasta is not like a bespoke creation of this story, right? I don't know what Jocasta is. She's just a gold lady that kind of looks like she came out of that movie Metropolis. Jocasta from Jim Shooter and George Perez's Avengers from 1977. Oh, that's nice. The Bride of Ultron. Oh, okay. Great. Cool. She has, you know how, you know how, uh, you, you say I do, but I, you know, I don't Ultron, know right. And you know I, how Ultron is based on Hank Pym's brainwaves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, you know, vision and you know how the vision is based on 
Wonder Man's Wonder brainwaves, Man. which yep. is why Vision sucks. Well, Jocasta, that's a bold take for some people that I, I was going to say that is going to land. It. That's going to land with a very hard thud and thud in some people's hearts. I great. I'm sorry. Y'all picked a bad <laughs> character to stand. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Jocasta is based on Janet Van Dyne's brainwaves. Ah. Uh, so she's uh, she's girl Ultron. Great. She I mean, is not the only girl Ultron. There is also Alkima from hmm. West Coast Avengers, a hmm. character I know nothing about except for that she is the Bride of Ultron. That sounds also. like a John Byrne kind of thing, maybe. Uh, actually, this is a Roy the Boy. This oh. is Roy Thomas right here. Oh, good, good for Roy. Um, Jocasta is is only really a part of this story to introduce the children Avengers. Alkima was. Uh, formed by Mockingbird's brainwaves, just so we uh, get all the brainwaves. Jeez, these robots and their brainwaves. I mean, just can't they have their own brainwaves? Hey, that does. Here's a thing for Wonder Man, real quick. Yeah, just because Vision has your brainwaves does not make him your brother. And it's no. weird that you think that. All it's it's just weird that you think that sometimes. Actually, it's weirder for Grim Reaper who thinks that. It's it's super complicated, you know. But that's why it makes it an exciting romance for the comics uh, for the children's. <laughs> Hey, what do you think about this um, this one page where uh, Bobby and Sam get served like delicious Belgian waffles and are actually watching Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, the, the 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. movie before it came out in theaters? I think that's friggin' weird. I mean, is it funny? Is it like... I don't... <laughs> Can I tell you about my grand unifying theory about Nick Spencer? Uh, sure. Yeah. I've okay. never read Morning Glories and I don't intend to. I don't even know what that is. What is that? It was Nick Spencer's image book, uh, and oh. it never got finished, so I don't feel oh. like I need to finish it. But people okay. tell me it's good. I don't believe them. But it's Well, fine. how would you know? It doesn't end. It's fine. Well, plenty of things are good and don't end. I shouldn't I think- say that. Huge fan of Chris Pachalo's steampunk. It still has never finished its last arc. I, You know, so things don't have to have endings. Yeah, right? I think I think – Kickman's Manhattan Projects is great. It doesn't end. <laughs> I think it's fun while it lasts. The thing about Nick Spencer is that in about 2014, he convinced 2013, actually, he convinced all of us that actually he was talented because of superior foes of Spider-Man. And the problem is it wasn't that Nick Spencer was talented. It's uh, it's that Steve Lieber was really, really freaking, really, really freaking funny. And I- That was good. And then we got Nick Spencer's Captain America run, which is controversial for a lot of reasons and not controversial enough for the fact that it's kind of bad and boring. Mm. Then we got Nick Spencer's Spider-Man run. And let me tell you what, Spider-Man's not been in a good comic in a very long time. A spell. Been a while. It's been. When do you think the last time Spider-Man was like unequivocally good? Um. Eric Larson, early nineties, pre shot a pre clone saga, like pre carnage. <laughs> like, carnage. Carnage was the turning point of Spider-Man being bad. I mean, look, <laughs> you're talking about a child of the, of the eighties and nineties here. I, I have such respect for like the entire, you know, opus of Spider-Man going up to that point, And then, It just really did fall off the rails like the rest of Marvel Comics in the 90s. And I don't know if it ever really came back. I think if 
someone was bold. Someone could make a convincing argument that everything was ja- downhill after John Romita Sr. left. And I think that's that's valid argument. Collectively, <laughs> that's an argument that you could make. I don't know if I would, but you could. Listen, there's, uh, there's good Spidey stories, uh, you know, throughout individual. But like, why are we talking about Spider-Man? This because is this issue is kind of nothing. That's the thing about that's the thing about Avengers World number nine. Sam and Birdo get into a bar fight in space. Yes. End of story. They find the Avengers kids. The future Taskmaster uh, does go go after them. And uh, I feel like that's more important later in Avengers world. Nope, it's not. Never shows up again. No, but, uh, you know, I do like that they are buds and they go to a bar and they have some drinks and they have fun. And then they get, uh, you know, saved by the gold lady. And um, then they get introduced to the kids and you're right. That's all that happens. But I like spending time with, uh, with our boys here. And the art is really nice. The art is very good. See, Stefano Caselli is a very hot and cold artist for me. Really? Okay. Really is. I think there's stuff like Castelli does some stuff during Hickman's new Avengers. He specifically does the arc with the great society. Okay. Yeah. uh, Where Namor blows up someone else's planet because he's oh, like none right. of you are good enough to like none of you are willing to be bad enough to do this so i am yep, yep. to save our planet i will save our universe and it's screw the these people because i'll be the bad guys like that panel where daymore's just like sneering at everybody like you pathetic people you don't have the guts to do this like you said you did you were just playing that's seared into my mind otherwise i think castilli's a good hand and probably one of the better of the guys that I would still call Marvel house style today, but it's not going to be like blowing my mind when I get a Stefano Castelli uh, announcement, you know? Okay. I don't know. I think uh, Castelli's really talented and especially with uh, facial expressions, just absolutely outstanding. You know, the, the interactions between these characters, the way they're looking at each other, the way they're reacting to things. It's, it's fantastic. His act, his acting is his strong suit by far. I mean, yeah. like that, that name worth scene. I was just, that was all just acting yeah. right there. Um, I do think this issue is notable for the continuing lightning of Birdo, um, especially in the indoor fluorescent scenes. Birdo is colored very lightly. It gets a little bit better when he goes outdoors. Right. Um, but like people really do forget. So where this character is from and, and what he looked like when he started as a character. It's it's a it's a challenging thing only in that I'm, I'm not saying that this is acceptable. I will say that at a certain point, like I have a hard time blaming artists or even colorists on it who may or may not actually know who these characters are, or their details, because that's not fully their job. Their job is to get reference models from editorial and say, hey, make sure they're on model like this. And if they're the stuff that they pull is colored, like say even like the later, like the Jim Chung X-Force stuff, if Mm -hmm. you want to go back that far, or especially any of the like contemporary new mutant stuff around this era, Beto's tan. At best. At best he's tan. So I, I understand why the individuals creating the book that could have happened to, Guys, come on, be better than that, though. Yeah, I mean, it just needs to be addressed editorially. Um, Because Andre Moss, uh, who's doing the colors here, 
definitely gets it in the middle of the book. And then on the, the beginning and the end, uh, not so much. So, and there's I get whole, it. There's, there's different palettes. Be, yeah. I get it, but it's just some, you know, it, it, it can be worked out better. All right. We have it been, needs to be. it's, We've been talking around this book for about 20 minutes now. So we well, should that's just probably... our show. That's called should... the show. <laughs> no, but there is not a lot happening here. So why don't we try and rank it on our big old list? That's right. We have a big old list. We are ranking every X-Men comic that's ever been written on our road to 800. We are on 768. Wow. Uh, with the best X-Men story being the House of X Powers of 10, the 100th best X-Men story being Ultimate X-Men World Tour, the 200th best X-Men story being Uncanny X-Men 97, My Brother, My Enemy, the 300th best X-Men story being, is Uncanny X-Men Disassembled really 300? I mean, we like that, don't we? Plus, there's just a lot of bad X-Men stories. I think it's more that one, yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> 400, <laughs> Generation X, what happened to Cassidy Keep 8 and 9? Uh, number 500, Storm Volume 2. That one is bad. Number 600, Generation X, Gen 13. Uh, number 700, Onslaught. Number 768, 2099, World of Tomorrow. Phew. Adam, is this better or worse than... Wait, where's, where is the most important Sam and Better story? Uh, which is... Um, oh. Astonishing Tales. Mojo World. That's at 206. This is worse than Astonishing oh, Tales. Mojo. Way worse than that. I'm thinking we're in like the 500s. The 500s? Yeah. I mean, th- this, is a, this, this is, is better well... than 501 Daydreamers. This is better than Daydreamers. Is it? Daydreamers isn't very good either. Daydreamers no. isn't what you want it to be. I disagree. I think we're in. I think we're lower. Like. There's just not a lot happening here, you know. It's well drawn, but like, all right, you're you're uh, you've always liked five thirty seven Weapon X, the draft Sauron. Is this better than that? No, it's not okay. Better. Oh, it's better man. than like the Mirror Island saga in that it's just it is just a story, right? Let's put it between Weapon X, the draft Sauron, and Generation X, Big Trouble in Madripoor. That sounds like a great place for it. Our new five thirty eight, perfect. All right, Sorry, guys. Sorry that we ruined that story. What? We ruined nothing. I take I'm not apologizing for anything. Well, people may want us to apologize after I give my thoughts on the next <laughs> set of comics we're talking about. That is New Mutants 1 through 4, written by Chris Claremont with pencils by Bob McCloud on the first three and Sal Buscema on the last one. This is the start of the New Mutants ongoing series and adam i need to ask you a question i need you to answer it okay do you think chris claremont had any idea about what the plot of this book should be for about the first 18 issues i think that chris was interested in extending the mythology of his world knowing that there was a there was a desire for more x stuff so right. he's, so he's fam- definitely famously on that famously on that i say famously it's background information about a b-list marvel book i don't think there's anything famous about this factoid except for the people who listen to x-men podcast probably know it and that is that this was new mutants was something that well chris knew bob bob or not bob excuse me jim shooter wanted more x-men books mm-hmm. he was like well, i can either do it on my own terms or he's just gonna have someone else screw it up so that's where new mutants came from I got to say, I think that if the editorial mandate is do another, you know, a teen, a a contemporary teen school book 
right? And the excuse here is obviously that the uncanny X-Men are in outer space, presumed Doing dead a brood. by the brood saga, right? And Professor X, unbeknownst to his students, um, is hosting a brood egg. So that that adds a little wrinkle to uh, to the beginning of the, the story here. I got to say, he does a fantastic job of at least establishing who these characters are, right? Um, what some of the challenges are for them. And in terms of there being kind of like a longer term storyline, he is at least starting to thread some things. Like I was surprised by how much um, seeding was going on with things like Legion, you know, is right there in the first issue, Ileana, Moira. There, There's a lot of that going on. Is there, is it deep? I, no. No. This is very shallow. It's shallow, but he's laying the foundation so that when we get to something like Demon Bear, we know what Danny has been through so that we can jump right into that story. But what I what I would argue, Adam, is that those found that foundation really only works and only matters because of what happens when Sienkiewicz starts drawing and how Claremont changes what he's doing immediately then because like can you imagine demon bear drawn by bob mcleod well we've seen you know in that one panel what (laughs) that looks like and no of course it would be terrible um it's a whole it's a whole nother book yeah if bob mcleod is drawing that story what works here is that mcleod is really supporting what claremont is doing just to do character work yes so we are gonna have kids at the mall get attacked by sentinels in issue two, right? This is like classic X-Men stuff. Oh, it's classic X-Men stuff because we've all seen that pilot. It wasn't classic X-Men stuff at the time, but yes. No, but where's that coming from? It's coming from exactly this. It's coming from this, right? You know, we're, we're, we're getting, you know, all the stuff with, uh, you know, Danny being kind of like followed by, and then, um, you know, attacked by Professor Xavier as the brood that then gets resolved over an uncanny. We're getting, what else is happening in issue four? I mean, issue three is mainly brood stuff. And then issue- The brood stuff is weird in my mind because I always do feel like the part about actually the brood have implanted in Professor Xavier. It's like a scouring of the Shire kind of moment that like, thematically i understand it but maybe we would cut it out of an adaptation because it's (laughs) an extra ending to a story that's already over yeah it's it's fine obviously when paired against the paul smith issue where you know the uncanny x-men suffers compared to what uncanny's doing right now where i think the book really does start to the so first issue a lot of a lot of just hey these are the characters this is their emotional beats Second issue, I think the mall issue really hits. Third issue suffers because it's brood stuff and it, it's kind of unnecessary. It feels superfluous. However, the fourth issue really does kind of hit a hallmark of the after school special type story that this book does lean on from time to time, right? So the fourth issue is the one about the student who keeps prank calling Stevie Hunter and it turns into like this very strange story about this kid's abusive uh, parents and the way that 
he thinks of how he should be cared about and you know it's a weird weird story um but it's definitely claremont kind of taking on uh almost a psa type story and working it into this superhero narrative he's very much trying to do that i would categorize it as a failure and i'm glad i'm glad he was trying something but like it doesn't work for me none of the honestly none of the early new mutant stuff until sinkevich gets on really works for me see i disagree i do think that this book has a lot going for it in terms of the uh the, the character development. And I'll be honest, some of it is very stupid, right? Like some of There's it is just of it's very stupid. Some of it is just can cannonball turn, right? <laughs> Which is very it's, dumb, but it's also kind of rewarding when he can, and he saves a mother and child. Like I get excited about that. Cause I'm like, go Sam. It's because I love Sam. It's just like, I, I think power should have limitations and I think you should, have your protagonists have downfalls and have challenges and I can't turn is a really silly. One. <laughs> it's, it's like being like weakened by the color yellow. It's uh, I'm fine with it. I, I think it's okay. I, I agree that obviously this book has its ups and its downs and it's still trying to get its feet in the first four issues. Is this the best the book is? Absolutely not. But does it start to establish the characters that we met in the, the graphic novel, novel. right? And it starts, like I said, it starts laying the roots, uh, planting the roots for where this is going to go. So I have a, I have an affinity for these, these issues. Um, I agree that it, they're obviously not like I have a lot of respect for Bob McLeod um, and what he can do. These issues are just kind of house style, right? The Sal Salby Sema issues just, the same, it, it's right? It's very, it's just a lot of nothing. And that, that really hurts them in my mind. I don't know that. I don't know that it's nothing per se. I think that it is artistically, artistically, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. hit me. But, but as a story, it's just trying to gain, you know, Claremont's trying to get its, get his, a foothold on what he wants to do with this book. Right. Um, and you're right that, you know, until we get past Nova Roma, we don't really get that. Um, so it's, it's, but I still think this at least establishes it and gives us a good basis for where these characters are going to go. It's much no. better than say the first six issues of X factor. Yes. Most you know? things are. Right. But like all the things we like about these characters are already here. Like it is it, though. I don't know how much of that was already like, I feel like most of that was already established more or less in the graphic novel. Well, parts of it are, but we're getting, you know, how they interact. We're getting how they sure. interact with other people in town. Right. Uh, at one point they end up at a dance. Like how do the other kids at the mall stick up for them when they're about to be arrested by garage? Like it's stuff like that, that I think really does make the book just a unique turn, a unique spin on what was going on with X-Men at the time. So what I'd say, Adam, is we have on our list at 508, we have the first Hellions arc of new mutants. Okay. I think the Hellions arc is better than this. Um, That's the one where they are, I would I would argue this is better than that. Um, you think this is better than the Hellions arc at five oh eight? Well, the Hellions arc is where they they're in competition with each other, right? They're like betting each other. No, no, no. You're thinking of the last Claremont arc. I forget what it's called. This is the one where they get 
captured by the Hellions. Oh, right. It's not when okay. they get brainwashed. No, no, no. But into it's thinking the... they're the Hellions because they yeah. just died and they're having trauma, and Magneto can't deal with it. All right. Well, down at five twenty one, we have the final arc of New Mutants, and despite that being kind of a landmark that leads into mutant Genesis, I do think these first four issues are better than that. You know, I think that they're doing a lot more character work than just throwing, you know, Shatterstar into the danger room. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So Uh, I would say go in between those. Do you think this isn't better than X-Men four and five, the brotherhood of evil mutants? No, I think this might be better than that multiple man introduction. Um, yes, I would agree with that. So great. this is five, ten. Uh, new 510. We got this, buddy. All right, great. So Sam and Sam, honestly, just to keep it on theme, Sam and Bobby, not like the best of friends yet. No. Also very weird that Bobby's like 13. <laughs> yes. And mourning, and he's going to mourn the hell out of that dead girlfriend for as long as he possibly can. What's her name, Adam? What's her name? I don't know. Tell me her name. Vicky? It's not it's Vanessa. Not. Why am I getting a V in my head? It's like, what is his girlfriend's name? Do you know? Do you not know his girlfriend's I name? I don't think you do either. You're looking it it's, up. It's Juliana Sandoval. That's what it was. Juliana. Oh, poor Juliana. Juliana. I, I apologize. My Portuguese is miserable. My Spanish, muy mal. My Portuguese is bad. Well, they are two different languages. They so, are, but they're both romance languages, and they're both heavily entwined. You are That's, you are correct. Linguistically, I'm not saying anything crazy here. No. Well, good for you, because we are moving away from Brazil and back to the U.S. of A. for Living this- in America! <laughs> Why are we living in America, Zach? What is this Because these story? are the U.S. Avengers! Oh, another Avengers arc. Okay, here we go. Written... By Alucard Ewing with art by Diaz or Paco's both Diaz and Medina. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, this came out in 2017. We're talking about U.S. Avengers 10 through 12. It's the last arc of U.S. Avengers. Adam, are you familiar? You said you didn't read many Avengers after Secret Wars. Are you familiar with the U.S. Avengers? The U.S. Avengers are Bobby DaCosta's um, Avengers team. When he was in charge of AIM. Yeah. So here's what happens. I'm going to, you have, you have the comic strip version. Here's the other version. And this is the Al Ewing cinematic universe version. In that ah. During infinity, Al Ewing got mighty Avengers. And then he got Captain America in the mighty Avengers. Then he got the mighty defenders during secret wars, which was a two issue. Mini. And then he got two books. He got new Avengers, which unfortunately did not have the right artistic fit right at the start. And this is a common challenge for most of Al Ewing's books, honestly, up until about U.S. Avengers. I think Paco Diaz and Paco Medina are the right fit for this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Al Ewing starts to get pretty decent artists after that. But his first stuff is rough, with the exception of Lee Garbit on Loki. I think it's pretty solid. Uh, and then he also has Ultimates. And then new Avengers and Ultimates end after Civil War Two. And we get U.S. Avengers, where Bobby has taken aim and he has given he has signed a contract with the U.S. government so that he is an asset of the U.S. government and his assets are asked or can be used by the U.S. government for Avengers things. This is important. Also, we get Aven- or Ultimate Squared out of this. 
Yeah, so the team is Bobby, also known as Citizen V. Citizen uh, Victory. Yes. <laughs> he was Iron... supposed to get he was supposed to get a different cool new costume that they promoted and then it never came out. Oh, that's a bummer. Uh, it's fine. It was it was a I haven't read Thunderbolts. What's Baron Zemo's costume in that? I don't know. Baron Zemo's Thunderbolts boy. You're acting like I read that. Zach, I only read X-Men comics. That's the point of the show. You're familiar with... Yeah, Citizen V is... Okay, it is Citizen V. It's just new Citizen V armor. Okay. Uh, It it looked closer to the Baron Zemo's Citizen V. You're aware of Citizen V, right? I don't know. I that's just what he's Adam, uh, did I spoil Thunderbolts number one from 1997? I know the Thunderbolts reveal. Yes. Did I read Thunderbolts? No, I don't. No one has read Thunderbolts. That would be insane. Yeah. Who's going to read about the fixer? Well, we're not reading about. I'm the kidding. I'm pissing off Spider-Man fans, Thunderbolts <laughs> fans, Vision fans today. Well, we're we're hopefully not going to piss off any Al Ewing U.S. Avengers fans because I, I don't en- think we will. I enjoyed this quite a bit. So the the lineup is Sunspot, Iron Patriot, uh, Inventor Tony Ho, which is uh, uh, Yinsen Ho's daughter. Right. Um, remind people who that is because they might. Yinsen Ho. Yinsen Ho's the guy that Iron Man in the cave. That guy. Right. He held them the all. The Iron Man filled finished off the Iron Man armor. Right? Yeah, he was the guy. He was the guy in the cave. Yes, with Iron Man, Red Hulk that he made out of scraps. <laughs> right, Red Hulk, uh, which is General Robert L. Maverick, who only has got to be so specific. It yes. is not. It's it not is Thunderbolt not, Ross. It's not Thunderbolt Ross. This Red Hulk does have a mustache. Yes. <laughs> and he only has one hour of Hulk time. At His a time. hour of power, baby. Unfortunately, at the start of this arc, he has been Hulk for like several weeks, and it really did mess up his heart. You know, I have a Chip Zdarsky sketch of General Robert L. Maverick. Because the character is awesome. <laughs> it's great. Chip Zdarsky, when he sketched that, did not know that it was not Thunderbolt Ross, and I did not correct him. You just told him, it. give me a Red Hulk with a mustache. I, um, it was my first time ever meeting an artist and I didn't know what to do. And he was very professional. That was very nice. Uh, Cannonball is here. Squirrel girl is here. And, uh, Aiku Jokinen also known as Enigma is here. Uh, that is a character from Hickman's Avengers. Sounds about But not, but not really used a lot in Hickman's Avengers. Uh, she's pod from Hickman's Avengers but really gets used in other stories more than anything else. Yeah. So as this arc begins, and if you want to get this in uh, the trade paperback, it does include the secret empire arc and it is called cannonball run. Um, But we're just going to do this arc because uh, uh, when we start off, Berto has essentially decided to cut off his contract and basically like go broke uh, and say that, hey, the U.S. Avengers, we don't work for you anymore. We're, we're so our own here's the Here's the trick. I mentioned earlier that Roberto D'Agosta signed an agreement with the U.S. government for him. Mm-hmm. He, at the time when he signed, was the head of AIM. So they had access to AIM, the U.S. government did. Well, he gets mad at the U.S. government because of Secret Empire. Fair enough. I was also mad about Secret Empire. We all were. <laughs> right. Uh, hey, maybe a little madder than we should have been about this silly comic book story, but... Look, 2016, 2017, we were all going through a lot. <laughs> there's timing. There's <laughs> like 2020 and 2016, 27, late 2016, early 2017. I'm giving us all a pass. We were we were all going through it. 
Anyway, he gets mad about that, and he has actually signed away all of his rights to AIM over uh, Dr. Tony Howe becomes the supreme leader of AIM. And, oh, by the way, Bobby has a power inhibitor on his head to stop him from getting powers because um, they're killing him thanks to the Terrigen Mists. We're not talking about them anymore than that. Yeah, dude has the M-Pox, um, luckily. That's it. No, we're done. No one needs to know more about it. We've <laughs> okay. all this. Besides the fact that a comic book did bring it up this week, we're not talking about it. So Smasher, uh, Sam Guthrie's wife, does show up at the end of uh, the first issue just to let everybody know that uh, the missing cannonball, um, who has been missing for for some time, has been located. And uh, the last two issues are about where Sam is and the U.S. Avengers um, rescuing him. And folks, Al Ewing is often cited for his genius as a comic book creator uh, in, in his writing and just the intelligence and unique perspectives and approaches. Uh, and he's also not above a good gimmick. And these two issues are so much fun because essentially a group of scrolls have turned a planet into uh, an Archie comic book and are living the lives of the characters of Archie that you, Sam is stuck on their planet. I need you to, again, we're going to get deep into this. You understand that Al Ewing, as he's doing with all things Marvel, he's making a reference here, right? Uh, to, to Archie, yes. To Fantastic Four 91 by Stanley and Jack Kirby, where the scrolls of Crawl 4 all got... TV things for American gangster movies from the thirties and pretended to be gangsters. So it's a play on that, but the, it is the, a play on this. These are not the same scrolls, correct? These are the next door neighbors of those scrolls. Gotcha. Okay. So um, this is, this is if you assume scrolls follow Roman numeral numbering systems, six planets over. I think that this is a really, really smart and fun setup because what Al does is that he essentially sets this up as a political spectrum and has Richie. What, what is this one's this Archie's called? Archie. Can we just call him Archie? Let's just call him Archie. Archie. Archie scroll. Archie is obsessed. From Riverdale. Y'all know Riverdale. Archie. Well, hold on. The, the original. The scrolls here would hate Riverdale, actually. Yes, except for Jughead. I don't know. I think Bugface Brown would think Riverdale's a little too too far. I don't know. I don't know. Because that is the premise that is set up is that we have Archie, who is obsessed with keeping the original Archie canon, and yet he is sort of at an ideological impasse with Jughead, who is now in a dungeon. Because all Jughead wanted to do was when he learned that there was newer decades of continuity with these characters, he just wanted to keep exploring it a little bit so that it was more fun and it kept up with the times. And so we get this great Brown. conservative versus like progressive thing that is just, it's so smart the way Al puts this together. What is what is interesting is especially if you look at some of the background characters that are also in the dungeon with him, like Sabrina. <laughs> yes. And Kevin. and Kevin, like, it's like, oh, no, Al Ewing is not being subtle here. No, uh, Al Ewing. And this is this is very pertinent to the time. Like I said, it's 2017. We are pretty deep into the uh, post secret wars, post civil war of Marvel being all in on legacy heroes. 
that tended to be a lot more diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a reaction from the worst kinds of people about that. Just was, folks. I mean, like, the, the podcast was going on during that time. You could probably hear us comment about that in the past. I cannot tell you how much I agree with my opinion, specific opinions. I do know that our general opinions have stayed the same during that entire time of saying people are dumb. Don't be freaking weird about not white people. That's all. <laughs> Don't be weird about dudes who aren't white. That's it. Oh, boy. Um the, That's all Al Ewing saying here, and yet he's doing a good job. Yeah, no, he's exploring this in a really fun way. And if you are an Archie fan, um, you will find your favorite Archie characters, uh, uh, you know, represented in some really fun ways. The Super Scrolls that are their like, you know, defender protectors are also mashups of multiple mutants, um, which I believe just because Al Ewing has done his homework. I'm pretty sure those super scrolls are from one of the, oh no, they aren't actually from, I'm wrong because well, those scrolls died in a genocide. We do get the, the, the gangster scrolls, the gangster we scrolls. We do get the gangster do, scrolls. Do I thought these were, I did think for a second that these might be scrolls from like secret invasion X-Men, but no, oh, Cyclops okay. did a genocide on them. Yeah. But um, the, <laughs> the one super scroll is a mashup of Gambit, Dazzler, Wolverine, um, but is also I forget what the Archie character's name is, the teacher. Um not the hot one that Riverdale Archie slept with, no. but was actually catfishing him and wasn't actually his teacher. Oh my god. Well, okay, no, she impersonated Miss Grundy or whatever the Archie teacher lady is name, but hold on. That was that was Miss Grundy. Um, that's Miss Grundy, yeah, from Archie. No, this from is Riverdale. This is Mr. Weatherby. So Mr. Weather's <laughs> Weatherby. Do you know how many Archie comics I've read? I honestly don't know. <laughs> All of just, my Archie is from cultural osmosis. I just think that it is very, very well done. It is a smart mashup. You're still getting the, um, you know, the U.S. Avengers kind of dealing with some things that have happened in the past. But the thrust of this story being Jughead telling archie like we can't continue living in the past we need to be a living document right it's just brilliant i think it's a very smart and fun story it's out so. it's al ewing listen al ewing's getting on a pulpit here also i'd listen to al ewing get on a pulpit he tends to do it in a very entertaining way yeah yeah it's so, not the first it's not the last have you read we've talked about it several times in the show have you read defenders beyond he is not being subtle about his opinions on what comics should be yes. in that book it's very good. People should read it. So unfortunately, this is also the end of this particular adventure with this team because they then get sucked into the No Surrender crossover. Which, eh, No some... Surrender is not an X-Men story, even though Rogue is a central character in it. Yes. It's a bridge too far for me to say that that's an X-Men story. Mm, I would agree. No Surrender is pretty good, though. <laughs> There's some cool stuff in No Surrender. I remember. I think No Surrender is a little longer than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Most crossovers. But in general. Are. Yeah. But um, if if you were going to pick one of the three stories this week to check out, um, obviously, I think most of our listeners have read the first four issues of New Mutants, but you probably might have skipped the U.S. Avengers. And Go read it. It's fun. It's fun. It is a lot of fun. And especially these uh, these Archie issues are a blast. So these are probably my favorite issues of U.S. Avengers, even though I do have a soft spot. No, there is actually no, there's one issue that I'm not sure if it's a crossover or not, but it's uh 
it's Al Ewing doing a formalism that is fun. <laughs> I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I and I read more than just that arc to to get ready, so I knew who. The well, because someone me wrote it down wrong on our list. No judgment. It's okay. Someone, someone was, was like, "Oh, Adam, you should read these freaking Secret Empire tie-ins." <laughs> and I was I looked at those and said, "Well, that's obviously not what I meant. I must have meant these this here. They were good. They were good." No, we're not ranking them, but they they were pretty we're solid. Not. This isn't as good as Avengers World 17, where Sam and Izzy get engaged. And that is That's at, at 176. Oh, no, I was looking lower than that. Because this is fun, but I do is think... Is this better or worse than C- City of Sickles from Savage Avengers? Ooh, that's tough. I would say better. This is this is very smart. Uh, and I, this I, is... I do think it's pretty solid. So, yes, I would agree. I think we're probably above that savage avengers which is at 378 we're better than new mutants and Necrotia at 351 yeah i would agree with that i don't know how high i really want to go this is not better than wolverine noir at 335 yeah okay i'm fine with that um probably it's better than lovelorn from uncanny x-men yeah i can get behind that but i don't i would i would say it's better than omega from x-force the end of the cyspurrier x-force do you think it's better than Typhoid? Oh no, that's yes. not Cy Spurrier. That's that's uh that's uh the Quentin Choir stuff from Percy X Force. Oh, yeah, yeah that has that has some mixed art on it, but uh, it does still, have. Honestly, I'll say I'll art. say this for Robert I mean, Gill, especially because he just finished up his tenure as the X Force artist. He went from bad and I don't like it to actually a really solid hand, and I was really enjoying his art by the end of that. I'm I, glad I that agree. Paul Davidson's on it, but I would agree. I think Robert Gill. Maybe on those Omega issues, uh, there was a timing uh, issue, and he just had to do his work. Happens a lot of the time. I think this is better than Typhoid's Kiss from Marvel Comics Presents. I'm going to say it's not as good as 337 to save the Savage Land, and I don't think Al Ewing would be upset with that. No, I think that's the right place for it. So this is going to be our new 338, and um, those were those were some some fun things. You know, if you like Sam and Berto, go check them out. I had fun with that. Um, I had fun with that and I had fun with you, Adam. It was Aww. a great time to hang out with my friend. Such a pal. Such a good friend. Such a such a buddy. <laughs> um, and if you want to be our buddy, you can go over to patreon.com slash comics xf and start a parasocial relationship with us. Uh <laughs> just just like Joe Simpson did. I don't know if Joe has a parasocial relationship with us. I know that I do. It's fine. It's natural to form parasocial relationships with podcast hosts. You think you're there. I also think I'm good friends with everybody that I podcast with me and Stacey Vanek Smith from NPR's The Indicator and or Planet Money. We're besties. I know that for a fact. Uh, Restraining order. I don't follow her on Twitter anymore because I don't follow anybody on Twitter. That's the right thing Uh, to do. But she seems like she seems like she was a nice person when she was talking to me about economics on NPR. Yes, Uh, we we do enjoy our time spent in your you know, listeners in your vehicle or we love being in your ear holes, your walk, you know, wherever you are. So, um, thank you for listening. We've only got a couple episodes till 300, man. We're, we're, we, we're getting there. We are at 297 this episode. That's several. We're coming close to 300 and we'll see what we do. Yeah. When 300 comes around, don't get crazy. We might get crazy or we might might not. It depends on who returns our emails and who follows up on the emails that he's been slacking on. That's true. That's me. I can promise we won't do an 18 hour podcast that we're not going to do that. We're 
I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting. You can't do that. I do want to say because Adam was Adam said the mean thing. It's I, not a mean thing. It's not a mean thing. I was also listening I'm to impressed. it today. I I'm was impressed. listening to it today. And I was like, okay, I see, I see how they pulled this off. That's great oh, for that's amazing. great for friend of the show, Connor Goldsmith. Yes. Congratulations on a hundred episodes, Connor. Congratulations to the the elder statesman of X-Men podcasting, Jay and Miles, for nine friggin' years. Nine years? Was that what it was? Adam, we're at six years, and we started during the Jay and Miles uh, hiatus era. That's right. Wow. So if you want to, if you want to feel dated, bud, there's people who are like, yeah, they've been doing Battle of the Atom for freaking ever. (laughs) It's upsetting for all of us involved, and maybe our opinions have changed over that time, but that's okay. If you want to be like, Joe, Patreon, go do that. Uh, Adam, what are you doing? Uh, folks can always follow me on Instagram at Adam Reck. I, I actually have been tweeting a little bit lately, mainly to promote the show, but I guess follow me on Arthur at Arthur Stacy. Uh, go buy a print at imprint.com slash Adam Reck one. Do it. There's links on my socials and uh, Zach, you got anything going on? No. Great. What's next week? Great. Next week, you remember how uh, last week we did an episode that was all Jean Grey stories, but none of which involving the Phoenix? Oh, I do remember that. Yes. Well, we're doing all Cyclops stories, none of which involving the Phoenix. This one was much easier. (laughs) (laughs) So much easier, actually. Less less Cyclops Phoenix crossover there. (laughs) So so much easier to not do the stories where Cyclops thinks about the Phoenix and he thinks about other things. Amazing. Until then, folks, this has been Matthew. Hope you survived the experience. Get it!